and a very warm welcome to you, particularly if you're uh, new with us. If you are new, we hope that uh, church life begins to fit together and make sense to you uh, really quickly. One way to speed up that process uh, from your point of view, I hope, is to grab one of these hello cards. You'll find one out by the front doors. Uh, flip it around and fill it in, a few details, as many or as few as you're uh, wanting to give us, and then we'll add you to a, uh, a list of people who receive a weekly e-news email. That's all you'll get. You're not going to get spammed with, I don't know, cat videos or whatever else. Uh, it'll just be a weekly e-news email that fills you in on the sorts of things happening in church life. And uh, you'll find over the next few weeks that that e-news email is filled with something called Life 22. So I'm going to invite Adam to come and join me up here. And we're going to talk a little bit about Life 22. Hopefully, um, well, you might well have picked up some of these cards while I'm waving things at you. Now, while you're out there grabbing a hello card, or maybe you're out there on your way home, do grab one of these, or grab a few, and you'll find on this one, it says 2022 Live Talking Points, and there are three Talking Points events uh, planned for the next um, few months, one a month, for the next three months, in fact. And the first one is happening next Sunday. So this time next week, uh, things will be quite different here. We'll be running an event called More Than Money, Finding Fulfillment at Work. Uh, and Adam's uh, been instrumental in pulling this together. So Adam, tell us a bit about it. Um, who's this event for, first of all? Let's start there. Um, so this is an event um, for people who uh, aren't used to coming to church, uh, who aren't following the Lord Jesus Christ for themselves. Um, so if you know someone who you know, if you invited them to church on a Sunday, they would just uh, say no off the bat because they don't like the idea of uh, coming into a church building and singing songs and praying. You can say to them, well, brilliant, because none of that is going to happen. Um, so we're not going to uh, sing together. We're not going to pray all together like we um, would do usually on a Sunday evening. Um, it's going to be kind of cafe style. We're going to make use of our kind of shiny new auditorium and lack of, um, you know, fixed seating. Uh, we'll clear some of the chairs away, put some tables out. Um, there'll be uh, some kind of discussion questions up on the screen as a starter for 10 um, before we get going. Um, and then we'll have refreshments afterwards. So we're hoping to kind of create a, an environment for people to feel really comfortable in even if they wouldn't be comfortable um, during a, a normal church service. So absolutely anyone is invited. And if you're sitting here and you're a Christian, you're very much invited. You're invited to bring a friend uh, along with you. So do be thinking um, about who you can be inviting um, this time uh, next week. And why, why have we gone down the work route for this mm -hmm. Talking Points event? Um, so our talking points events are all uh, based around subjects that we, we hope are pretty universal, that most people uh, will have an interest in or something to say about. Um, I'm sure we've all uh, thought about work or money or success at some time in our life. Maybe um, you think about that every day. I don't know. Many people will. Um, and the question is, I guess, what does Jesus have to say about that? I remember when I, so before I started working here at Duke Street, um, I worked for JP Morgan, big American investment bank, and I used to work um, down in Bournemouth for them. And the, the first couple of months I was employed by JP Morgan, uh, I was sent on a training course uh, to how to be a successful employee uh, in the bank. Um, so I, the, the thing that I remember more than anything else was throughout this, I don't know, two-hour training course, um, the guy who was delivering the training was telling us about all this stuff that we had to do. You know, and I'm, I'm not really exaggerating. He was saying, you know, work extra hours, give up time with your family, 
don't worry about your hobbies, just work all the hours you can put in to achieve your objectives here at JP Morgan, and in the end, it will be worth it. And I thought, what could possibly make it worth it? Anyway, this training session went on and on, and he kept saying all these things about building up how much we needed to do, but in the end, it would be worth it. And as we got to the end of the training session, he said, now I'm gonna tell you why it's worth it. Because if you fulfill all your objectives, if you go above and beyond, then at the end of the year, when you sit down with your, your MD, they're gonna tell you how big your bonus is and whether you've got a promotion or not. And that is what will make all those hours you missed out on seeing your family worth it when you see how much money you've got to spend on what you want to spend it on at the end of the year. And I remember thinking, is that it? Is that all you've got on me? You know, <laughs> no way I'm gonna give up time with my family um, and things like that, or time at church, just to get a bigger bonus at the end of the year. Now, I'm sure I wasn't the only person in that room feeling like that, but I probably do think I was one of the only people who knew what was, you know, what, what more there was, and what really is valuable, and what really is kind of worth working for and striving for, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so I think we do have a lot to say about this subject of work and success as Christians. I think it does make a big difference um, to our kind of attitude to success and ambition and money. Um, we may all have different thoughts about that, but I'm sure as a Christian, you'll have thought about how those two things go together. And those are the, some of the things we're going to try and bring out next Sunday evening, I think. Brilliant. So we've said that this is going to be quite different. It won't look like this. There'll be lots of things that we normally do that we won't do, won't do next Sunday. What are we going to do? Talk us through the format and the people involved and that sort of thing. So I'll be hosting the evening. I'll probably, I'll probably put that anecdote in there somewhere. So apologies for duplication. Um, you'll hear that again. Um, but we're going to start off with an interview. Um, well, I, I've been, in my head, I've been thinking about it as a sort of 15-minute interview um, with uh, Lena Sleeth. Um, and Tom Pickering, Tom's uh, over there if he wants to give us a wave. Uh, there we go, there's the wave. Um, Tom and Lena, um, I'm going to interview them. Um, so uh, Lena works for Google, specifically she works for YouTube, um, and Tom um, works for Sir Jim Ratcliffe, uh, I think the UK's richest man, is that, is that right, Tom? He's up there. <laughs> He's got more money than me. Um, so he's doing all right for himself. Um, so Tom, Tom uh, has a very responsible job, as does Lena. Lena, um, I had a brief meeting with Tom and Lena earlier and just kind of asked them a few questions and I was absolutely fascinated about what they, what they do and how much thought they've put into how kind of their faith interacts with what they do at work. Lena said that she was formerly the head of hate at YouTube. So if you want to come and find out what that means, come back next Sunday and bring a friend, but really, really interesting jobs, really interesting things to say. So, we, yeah, as I say, we originally had that down as a 15-minute interview, but it sounded so interesting that I think it may run on to, you know, 20 or so minutes. Um, hearing a little bit about them and their work, hearing a little bit about them and how their faith relates to work. Um, after that, um, you're going to give a talk, so why don't you tell us a little bit more Apparently about that? Apparently so, yeah. Um, well, look, the plan at the moment is that um, the talk will be focused mostly on the person of Zacchaeus. Here's a guy working in sort of finance, maybe cutting a few corners, but making an absolute ton of money, chasing that promotion, if you like, that um, J.P. Morgan were talking about. But a man who met the Lord Jesus and had his life completely turned upside down, who found uh, in Jesus someone far more precious and valuable than anything else he, he'd found in his life. 
Uh, just one example, of course, in the Gospels of, of people that Jesus did that for, but it feels a particularly relevant one in the context of our topic for next time. So we'll be trying to talk people through the goodness of work, but also the limitations of work, the, the ways that work will let us down if we make it our God and the thing we build our life on, but also the wonderful preciousness of coming to know Jesus and how that just changes everything, gives us a new purpose and a joy. So that's the kind of plan. And I will try to make this accessible to people who might not have heard very much about Jesus before. So I'll try and make sure it's sort of jargon-free and all that sort of stuff and, and as helpful as possible. And then after that, we'll have a... Um, yeah, we're going to have a, a Q&A session. So Tom and Lena um, have very kindly uh, agreed to kind of um, answer questions. Um, and, and yourself, Simon, you've kindly agreed to do that as well. I don't think you had as much choice uh, in the matter as Tom and Lena. So we'll have a um, and yeah, Q&A session um, which uh, people can ask questions on um, whatever they've heard in the evening and uh, yeah we'll see we'll see how that goes and then I think refreshments to follow um, and hopefully plenty of discussion about what we've spoken about yeah and what just just one more you mentioned your time at JP Morgan I know that you were keen at that point to reach out to people with the gospel mm. anything from that time that you'd want to share with guys here maybe tips things that helped as you were trying to invite people or share the gospel with mm. them any of that anything of that nature uh, yeah, I think um, to, st to start with, just to acknowledge that it's, it's hard. Um, everyone knows this isn't, isn't easy. Um, I was thinking this week, you know, what, how far would I have gone in inviting people to an event like this if it was at my church back in Bournemouth when I was working there? And I thought, well, I think I probably would have been able to find a couple of people who I'm, he was particularly close to. I'd, I'd worked in my same team alongside the same people for a number of years and was on good terms with them. I think there would be two or three people who I would have taken the risk and said, you know I'm a Christian, you know it's important to me. Um, I'd love you to come and find out uh, about how kind of my faith influences or should influence the way I work. Um, so would you come along with me um, next Sunday evening? They may have said no, but I think I probably would have done that. Um, another idea that I had was, would I be brave enough to have asked my manager and said, look, if you would like to know what really makes me tick, maybe this is the best way to get more out of me, um, you know, come along and find out. Would I have been brave enough? Well, it's easy to say that when you work in a church, isn't it? I'll let you decide. And I thought, would I have been brave enough to ask my manager if I could mention it in a staff meeting? And I thought, no, I wouldn't have been. Um, but maybe you would be. <laughs> I don't know. Um, just something that occurred to me this afternoon as I was thinking about this. Um, some of us won't be in workplace environments. Um, many of us, and this has changed since I was... Um, you know, working in an office environment is that many of us are working from home nowadays. And so we're not kind of seeing people in the office day to day. Maybe our closest contact is actually with neighbors or people at the school gate or whatever it happens to be. Um, now, I love being asked what I think about things. Um, and I love it when someone actually listens to me talk about what I think about things. Um, so you could just try asking someone, what do you think success means? Or what do you think success looks like, or a successful person? And really listen to what they have to say on the subject. Um, ask them a few questions off the back of it if they're willing to talk about what they think success means. And then ask them if they'd like to find out what you think it looks like, um, and invite them along off the back of that. So that might be something I would try uh, if it was someone I wasn't kind of working alongside. Just, a, just an idea. Brilliant, Andrew. Thank you very much. Um, do you grab a 
to your own invite card or six and take them with you. And be praying for that event next week. Um, we'd love to see people come. We'd love to see people understand the gospel maybe for the first time and to believe it too. We're going to turn to God's word together. Uh, and we're going to uh, read together from two places, actually. The first one isn't on the screen. I'm trying to trick everybody. The first one is Isaiah uh, 44. Isaiah 44. And then we're going to turn to John 7. Isaiah 44. This, this, this is the kind of passage which we're going to hear in the background when we then turn to John 7, our focus uh, tonight. Isaiah 44. We'll just read the first five verses. Isaiah 44, verse 1. Isaiah writes, But now hear... O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Now turn with me, would you, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We'll say a bit more about the context uh, in a few minutes' time. But Jesus is standing up at the feast of what was called the Feast of Tabernacles or booths or tents. And he's chosen the, the climactic day of the feast to make a dramatic announcement. A dramatic announcement. Chapter 7 and verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We're going to pray for God's help before we turn to that again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the way it speaks to us and helps us and teaches us. Thank you for the way it shows us the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that we would see him by the eyes of faith and come to him with our thirst. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, picture it with me. You're sitting at a restaurant in uh, the old town of a beautiful European city and the waiter walks over to you and he asks you or she asks you for your drinks order. What are you choosing? Uh, you're spoilt for choice, aren't you? You might choose the Prosecco or a cocktail or a mocktail with one of those fancy umbrellas on it or 
or a freshly squeezed orange juice or Coke or Diet Coke or Coke Zero or Mango Coke or Cherry Coke or No Sugar, No Caffeine Coke or Banana Coke or whatever else is they make now. Or, or if you're a cheapskate like me and you're terrible at making up your mind about what you want to drink, it's tap water. Now, banish that from your mind and imagine instead that now you're walking or you're, you're dragging yourself exhausted and dehydrated through a vast, arid desert. And your last drink was days ago. Your tongue is glued to the roof of your mouth. Your throat is sandpaper sore. Now what are you drinking? You don't want one of those dehydrating cocktails. What you want is the most hydrating, life-giving substance on earth. Water. Water is a miraculous liquid. I found myself needing to buy a bottle yesterday, and I picked up this bottle. Um, this describes itself as still artesian spring water. So if you can tell me what artesian water is, then points afterwards, I have no idea. But water is a miraculous liquid, isn't it? Uh, we're told, aren't we, that our bodies are about two-thirds water. It's all around us in the atmosphere. There are supposed to be an estimated 326 million trillion gallons of water on Earth. I've no idea what that number means. And it's so essential for life that NASA's motto in the quest to find extraterrestrial life is follow the water. Find water, find life. It's the liquid of life, isn't it? A, a person can last apparently a, a month without food, though I wouldn't test that, but only a week without water. So when you drink a, a cup of coffee, the caffeine keeps you awake, but it's the water that's keeping you alive. Now, water is just one of the brilliant design features of the world that the Bible tells us God has made. You remember that God forming the waters in Genesis 1? And how in Genesis 2, he irrigated the Garden of Eden with this never-ending, self-replenishing water supply. Water produces life. Find water, find life. It's true physically, and it's true here in John 7, spiritually as well, according to Jesus. There's a kind of spiritual water that humans like us need, without which we die, or without which we never really live. And the spiritual water comes only from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you've just heard that starting next Sunday evening, we're putting together a, a, a series of events designed to introduce people to Jesus, and we've called it Life 22. John's gospel is filled with life, life in Christ, here pictured as living water. Why are we putting the effort into that? Why do we organize it? Why do we invite people to come along? Why do we want people to come to Jesus? Well, two reasons this evening, and they're both connected. In a way, they're two sides of exactly the same coin. First reason, because only Jesus can quench or thirst. Only Jesus can quench our thirst. Only he is giving us the water of life. Verses 37 to 38. Now, Jesus' words in John 7 are spoken, notice verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Uh, this is the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, and every year, uh, Israelites from all over the place would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the feast. And during the feast, according to 
uh, certain Jewish sources, uh, Jewish priests would take a golden flagon, a flask of some kind, and they would ceremonially draw water from the pool of Siloam, and then they'd process through the water gate and to the sound of three loud trumpet blasts and the sound of a joyful temple choir singing what they called the Hallel. Now, the words of Psalm 113 to 118, you could imagine the uh, the, the sound of the hallelujah chorus being sung as these priests enter through the gate. And once they get to Psalm 118, the, the pilgrims who've traveled from all around would wave branches and pieces of fruit that they'd gathered, and they would shout out together, give thanks to the Lord. Now, this is all quite alien to us, isn't it? Why make such a fuss over what is on one level just a flask of water? And the surface answer to that is, of course, that water is precious. And you know that water is precious, don't you, when you live in a very hot climate. But water had a particular significance for them, the people of the Scriptures. Now, the feast was called the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles or Tents because uh, during the feast they'd stay in DIY tents or booths for the length of the feast to remember those wilderness years in their history. The years when God had led them out of slavery in Egypt all the way to Mount Sinai through the wilderness. They remembered how they'd walked under the heat of the hot sun, desperate for a drink, and how the Lord Almighty had miraculously turned a rock in the desert into a fountain of living water. Isaiah the prophet remembers it. They did not thirst when he led them through the desert. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. You can read the account later in Exodus 17. It was an amazing miracle, an amazing provision. God was miraculously providing his people with life. And that's a big point of the feast, to remind the people that God is the only true source of life. Physically, yes, but spiritually as well. And it's a lesson that they so easily forgot. You take something like Jeremiah 2, another prophet like Isaiah. Now, describing the Lord's covenant relationship with his people as a fountain of living water. It's the perfect image, isn't it, for a people living in a hot climate? Obeying him, loving him, trusting him is pictured by the prophet as drinking deeply from a fresh and life-giving fountain. It's how humans have been designed. Just as the body needs physical water to live, so the soul needs the spiritual water of a living relationship with the God who made them. But see how Israel's rejection of God is pictured in Jeremiah 2. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out, dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns, cisterns broken containers that can hold no water. I don't know whether you've got a, a water tank or a water butt in your back garden to catch the rainfall and reprocess it. Uh, over the summer, most of them, I imagine, ran bone dry, and all that's left at the bottom of that water tank, that water butt, is the dirt that's stuck to the bottom. And that's something like what's going on here. Forsaking God for idols, says the prophet, is like ignoring the fresh, cool tap water that flows out of the tap in the kitchen and choosing instead to lick the crusts from the bottom of the water butt in the back garden. This is what humans do. We forsake God and his love, 
for the cracked systems of sex and power and family and comfort. We bury ourselves in work. We obsess over making the perfect family. We try to achieve the perfect body. We spend all of our spare cash on foreign holidays, desperately hoping that it's going to satisfy our soul. They promise us a drink, and they leave, leave us desperately thirsty. Now, the actor Jim Carrey was getting somewhere close to this. I don't know what he understands exactly, but he was getting somewhere close when he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. All of the sex and power and success and philanthropy and legacy in the world isn't the answer. And it might be that you, or maybe some of the people that you know, are beginning to work that out for themselves. They're beginning to realize slowly that life without God isn't like walking into a fancy restaurant with a vast array of satisfying drinks. But really, at the level of the soul, it's an arid wilderness. And every water source is a mirage. And today's Pharisees keep on presenting them with water butts or worse, toilet bowls to drink from. And they leave them thirstier and more desperate than they were before. What they need, what we all need, is what the prophets foresaw. Listen to these promises from the, from the prophet Isaiah. He, he wrote to a people parched with thirst, spiritually speaking. They, they'd been exiled for their sin, their rebellion, and they were desperate to drink in God's life again. And Isaiah promises a day when he says, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. Or 41.17, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. One more, Isaiah 58. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Like a watered garden isn't that a beautiful picture? You've seen those, uh, those Attenborough documentaries. They've got a big panning shot of a vast desert space, bone dry, red, no rainfall for months. And they managed to capture on their camera the first rainfalls. And they managed to capture it on one of those fancy time-lapse things, you know, that compresses uh, days, weeks, months into seconds, minutes, and hours. And so they can show you on the course of seconds what happens when the rain falls and sinks into the ground. And you see in fast forward before your eyes the red land turning a brilliant green, the, the, the arid desert turning into like a, a watered garden, the, the grass and the plants springing up, pools of water appearing, drawing animals in from all around, out of death, life. This is what the prophets are promising. 
And this is what the Lord Jesus is announcing here in John 7. He stands up the feast and shouts, If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. By the way, slightly odd wording, isn't it? It's not maybe what we expect. We expect them to say, out of Jesus' heart will flow rivers of living water, don't we? And of course, it's completely true that Jesus is the ultimate source of this living water. We're not going to find it anywhere but him. That's the point of what he says. But he's saying more than that. He's saying that this water supply that he grants to those who trust in him is self-replenishing. It's, it's never-ending. It's never running out. It will be a constant source of life for the person in Christ. It flows, as it were, from within them out of their own heart. And one of the things that surprised me about my trip to Australia a couple of months ago was how green the cities were. I'd turn up in a place like Perth, knowing how hot it could be, expecting it to be a sort of an arid wilderness, I suppose. But for a hot city, it is amazingly green. Now, partly that is because I was there in winter, right? So that's a, a wrinkle on it. But still, what was making it so green? Their lawns are brilliant green. Well, the point is, every lawn has its own irrigation. There's a sprink there are sprinklers everywhere. You've got to be careful when you walk across the grass. That's the sense here. A constant source of water for the soul from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the world might be a desert, but the church, the gathering of God's people, those who have come to Christ, it's like a well-watered garden. It's a new Eden, teeming with the life of God. And this is the, the life that we long our friends to find, isn't it? We don't put on these events, we don't try and share the good news with others because we're about a few kind of lifestyle tips, a bit more therapy to get you through the day, more empty water butts, more toilet bowls to lick. Jesus is offering so much more than that. Eternal soul-satisfying life to anyone who'll trust in him. In fact, what he's promising here, we learn, is his own spirit. Only Jesus can give the spirit of life. Did you see that in verse 39? Have a look with me, verse 39. Now, now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive. See, you look more closely at those ancient promises, and, and you realize that the promise of life-giving water is the promise of the Holy Spirit. We read that earlier. Did you see in our earlier reading? But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. You see what he's saying? And this promise of life isn't just a promise of a thing or a, a sort of magic substance or a spiritual elixir. It's a person. God's life comes to a sinner in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we could do an exercise together, couldn't we? We could, um, we could write up on the screen all the things that are good about the gospel, and we'd quickly fill the screen if we were really thinking properly, wouldn't we? And then we could spread out to the walls, and we could cover the walls until the whole building was covered in blessings, and we'd be in massive trouble with Siobhan and the church council, so we're not going to do that. But we could, couldn't we? 
Together, we could go on and on listing the blessings that come with trusting in Christ. And we'd want to talk about forgiveness for our sins. How Jesus gives each one of us a clean slate, no matter what our past. A new start, an unshakable purpose, a, a hope, a solid hope, a, a peace. A new family, a new family. A clear conscience. An answer to death. We're going to think about that in our second talking points and on and on and on. You know, forget the latest iPhone or a new Tesla. The gospel is the best product in the world. But what Jesus offers us here isn't a product, but a person. It is possible, isn't it, to think of Jesus here as a sort of a vending machine. We all know how they work, right? No one cares that much about the vending machine. What you want is the drink you can get out of it. So. You put in the coins and out comes the drink and off you go. And we can think of the gospel a little bit like that. God is the vending machine. I, I put in the coin of faith and out comes the can of salvation and off I go. God and the Lord Jesus is just a means to an end. What we really want is purpose and fulfillment and meaning. And God, it just happens to be the way that we get our hands on them. And this, in a sense, was kind of Israel's sin in the Old Testament. They, they turned to crack cisterns because they thought of God as a broken vending machine. Maybe the God of the nations will spit out the can that they really want. But the great gospel offer that Jesus makes here isn't ultimately something God gives. It's God the Spirit himself. The Spirit himself is the life we need. Uh, a writer and preacher, John Piper, wrote a book called God is the Gospel. And he explained the book title this way. He said, when I say that God is the Gospel, I mean that the highest, best, final, decisive good of the Gospel, without which no other gifts would be good, is the glory of God in the face of Christ revealed for our everlasting enjoyment. The saving love of God is God's commitment to do everything necessary to enthrall us with what is most deeply and durably satisfying, namely, himself. It's about him. We can put it this way, God isn't the vending machine. He is the drink. He is the living water. He is the answer to our thirst. And we don't just share the gospel with people to increase their purpose and reduce their anxiety. They can go to a therapist for that. This is about a whole new life. It's about a whole new relationship with the God who made them and satisfies their soul forever. And yes, of course, with that wonderful relationship comes every other spiritual blessing that we could cover the walls in here. Well, that's part of the point there in verse 39, isn't it? Why is it that the Spirit wouldn't be given until Jesus had been glorified? Why is that? Jesus' glorification in John is, at the very least, Jesus' death. The hour of his glorification, the hour of his crucifixion, where he pays for our sin, he clears the way for the coming of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit, and where he purchases for us every other spiritual blessing. Christ pays for the gift on the cross, and the Spirit delivers it to us in person. This is the great privilege of being a Christian, not only that I have good things from God, but that I know God himself. If you're not a Christian, God doesn't just want to give you stuff. 
He wants to give you himself. And you'll find him in the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says to you, come. As we close, Christians among us need to hear this invitation as well, don't we? Regularly. We're not above committing Israel's sin. We need to keep hearing Jesus when he says to us, come to me. Don't return to those cracked cisterns. Don't go off looking for life and satisfaction anywhere else. Don't wander off into the wilderness. Come to me and drink. We need it. Everyone else needs it too. You see that word in verse 37? Anyone. This is an offer for anyone. It's for those we've met and for those we haven't yet met. It's for the colleague we like and it's for the colleague that we find annoying. It's for the person we've invited to hear the gospel before and the person we've never before considered inviting until today. It's for the person we think, oh, there's a good chance they might become a Christian. And it's for the last person we could ever imagine becoming a Christian. It's for anyone. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, says Jesus, and drink. Let's pray together. Let's take a moment on our own to respond to the Lord Jesus. What do we want to say to him in our hearts? He's invited us to come. What do we want to say to him? A few moments to pray and then I'll lead us together. Let's pray together. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Heavenly Father, we recognize together before you that we are without the Lord Jesus in desperate need of a drink. Without him, we die spiritually. We never truly live. Thank you for sending your son into the world to give us the living water that our souls so desperately need. Thank you for his death on the cross, which purchased it for us. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, your life-giving spirit, whom Jesus pours out from his throne in heaven. 
Father, we pray that you would help us to come to the Lord Jesus and drink. And we pray that over the course of the next few weeks, whether it includes events we're putting on or, or not, please draw many people for the first time to the Lord Jesus and satisfy their souls by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together as we continue to listen to the voice of the Lord Jesus calling us. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>